If you would take your Bible and join me tonight, beginning in Matthew chapter 17, we'll put most of these scriptures up on the screen for you to see as well. But we're going to begin in just a few moments in Matthew chapter number 17. We're going to address something that is not controversial by the the fact that I'll bring up the topic, but it is also something that, that many times makes us uncomfortable. And I suppose that um, age is not necessarily the defining factor for if it makes us feel comfortable or not. I think personality plays a large part in this. But it is something that, that when we talk about it, we sometimes become a little bit on edge, uncertain. Questions start to run in our minds and we wonder, sometimes what we're trying to do is fill in the blanks, like where's this going And so tonight we're going to talk about the matter of change. Change. And as we talk about the matter of change, we're going to talk really about what we would consider the most important change. And that is how God changes us. How God changes us. There are um, personalities, of course, that are given to change. In other words, they like things to change. And then there are personalities and I think circumstances that we just don't like to change. Uh, Julie and I, before church tonight, we were over, we went over to the gathering place to just check in to look at how things were going with VBS. Um, how many of you have kids over at VBS right now? Okay, one, lots of you do. Don't forget to pick them up afterwards. And um, so kids over there, it looks great. And I mean, it is just this really, I, have you guys seen it over there? It's really amazing. They've done a wonderful job with preparing so many volunteers. Some of you are in here. I'm looking at some of you that did a great job with props and helps and it just looks wonderful. And then there are people dressed up in period costume. You know, the, the, the theme is this uh, kingdom, keepers of the kingdom. And so it's kind of this medieval look and there are people that are all dressed up that are welcome. You kind of walk in on this drawbridge and it just looks really great. It's, it's wonderful. And we were walking out, and I said, well, we looked across from the gathering place. We used to call it the St. John Chapel, but now it's changed, and so we call it the gathering place. And I looked out across the street from the gathering place, and there was something strangely absent. And it is the old uh, kind of... For lack of a better term, I, I know I don't think this is a color, but kind of the mold green apartments that used to be there are no longer there. They were called the St. John Apartments, and uh, they're gone. It's just flattened. It's completely gone. And uh, how many of you, again, out of curiosity, how many of you ever lived in the St. John Apartments? Raise your hand if you ever lived in there. Wow, lots of you. Pastor Young, you did as well. Okay, so several people that... Now, let me ask you, is there something kind of nostalgic about where you've once lived, right? Uh, Julie and I used to live at 718 Knowles Avenue. Is that the correct address? 718? She says, I don't know. So it is 718 was the correct address. We used to live at 718 Knowles, and um, that was the first place that we ever lived. And it was really, to put it, you know, mildly, it was rustic is a nice way to put it. And um, we were living in Colorado. We came back to Pensacola um, to speak at Campus Church or at Pensacola Christian College, and we said, hey, let's drive by the old place because there is something that we're connected to with that. 
it means something to us. It's, we got married and that's where we lived. And, and um, you know, that was our first place. And so we went to drive by it. And of course, it's no longer there. It, it was torn down in, um, in, you know, in that part, that lot. It was just, it was torn down. And then they were building a new house on the site where our old house was. How dare they? And uh, so they were, they were going to build something new. And I, I will tell you this, it wasn't finished building. They were, they were in the process of it. So Julie and I pulled up and there were some people in there working. A craftsman was in the kitchen working. And so we kind of tentatively went up and, uh, hey, can we, can we, we used to live here on this site. And, and he's like, oh, so conversation and then showed us around the place. And, and quite honestly, it was beautiful. The, the old St. John apartments that used to be a, across the tracks, a part of the ministry of Pensacola Christian College for housing. And prior to that, I suspect it was for Pensacola Christian School and, and uh, L, um, PC uh, uh, Pensacola Christian um, Schools, the, the elementary and then the high school. But it's gone and, and there will be some new apartments that the PCC is building there and, and they're going to be beautiful. I suspect that there are some things that are here for a time and then they're not. It's part of change. When you start to think about the change that is the most important, it is not external. Sometimes those things are, they come and they go. They're here and they're, they're not. But the real change that God is, I would submit, most concerned with is the change that impacts people like you and people like me. The change that is sometimes hard to fully discern, but a change that makes us grow more accurately into his likeness. There was something that was revealed about Christ. It really wasn't change. It was just physically he was transformed. He was changed. He was simply revealing that which he already was. Your Bibles may be open to this passage, but look at it. Matthew 17, beginning in verse number 1. Peter, James, and John were about to witness a radical change. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. The appearance of Jesus at this moment was radically altered. Sometimes we use the phrase metamorpho, the Greek word. Metamorphosis is something that's familiar to us. We, we talk about the, the, the caterpillar that is changed from one thing into another and, and it is this radical change. Well, Jesus is God. He is equal to, the same as, one with. So the God who is the same yesterday and today and forever is the same God who says, I'm the Lord, I change not. So we do understand that when change takes place, we're not going to change God. God is the one who is doing the work of changing us. Jesus was transfigured, changed before the disciples. There was something radical. Really what he's doing is he's kind of peeling back what we might refer to as the physical human veil. He, he never lays aside who he is. When he came, he came as God. 
but, be, but he came in human form. He, he came in the likeness of, of man. But now when that is peeled back, we see, whoa, what a change. Well, now we just see that which is consistent with himself. And what is it that he's doing in our lives? He's doing a work of change. That word is not only used regarding the change, the transfiguration that took place with Jesus, but the Bible uses it in connection with people like you and people like me. We've studied this passage, so we won't belabor it, but Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, is another one of the, the uses of this same word. Jesus was transfigured. He was changed. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye, there's our word again, same word that's used of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Be transfigured. Be changed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove prove like whoa there's no getting around that here's the proof that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God what can we at least deduce and part from this what is the good and acceptable perfect will of God that we might be transformed into that which is more consistent with who we truly are on the mount of transfiguration oh that's who he truly is he is changed before them and they don't know what to do I mean Peter opens mouth and inserts sandal he just like oh let's let's make three three altars here and it's like you know Peter ah just just be quiet and worship Jesus what's he doing to us well he is doing a work of changing us into who we truly are and that is we are the the children of almighty God this is the work that God desires to do in the lives of every born again blood-bought believer one more scripture as we just think about this word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Changed. There's our word again. Same word. Same word used of Jesus when he reveals who he truly is. Same word that's used regarding what is it? Be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Let God do a work that is of miraculous proportion of him changing us into the likeness of Christ. And then he says again here, we all with open fast beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. It's as if as we look at Jesus, there's something of his reflection that I get in the glass. Like I'm, I'm looking in the mirror and as I continually look at Jesus, there's something about his visage that begins to form in my own. Earlier in the passage, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of controversy over what is it that Paul was saying. But early in the passage, Paul's talking the passage that's the Second Corinthian passage. We all with open face. Really what he's saying, unveiled face. Paul references Moses and do you remember when Moses came down from the mountain and the people said no no no, we can't look at you because his face shone and and they they put a veil over his face Paul uses this and he references this really what he's helping us understand here is he's saying listen the the Jews there's some veil over their hearts so that they are not looking accurately at the one who wants to change them and then he, they, he said, every time they hear the law of Moses read, they connect themselves to the external rather than the, the change of the heart. 
I will give you a new heart and a new way, God said. In the Old Testament, he says, I want to do an internal work of change. So let me ask you this. Does the change that God desires to do in your life in making you look like Jesus, is it happening fast enough for you? Have you ever been frustrated by the, the lack of change? I mean, have you ever just wanted to kind of kick yourself and say, I, I, I want to see something different in my life tomorrow than I saw yesterday? I want to see some kind of change happen in my life. And I don't know that I'm seeing it like I desire to see that kind of change. Sometimes we use the expressions macro and micro. Macro and micro. So we understand macro. This is something big. This is something really significant. This is this, is this like this massive macro big event big thing micro so we talk about micro processors and and this this micro this oh this is so small this is so tiny this is something very insignificant in the christian life i would submit that there are both the big and the little the the all of a sudden and then the really tiny almost imperceptible and God is using both of those in significant and very important ways. What would you say, if you're answering the question, salvation, when you were saved, was that a macro or a micro change? Well, I would submit to you that, that salvation, the event of salvation, big change okay something massive happened in your life salvation is a macro change I was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see I was condemned but now no condemnation headed to hell now headed to heaven the enemy of God now I am seated at his table as a child I am a joint heir I am the brother of Christ this is a big change macro change but as far as our likeness to Christ is concerned, this is often the micro changes that take place. There are things that we, we struggle to see on a daily basis. I, I think it's why in my house we did when I was a kid what maybe some of you did in your house when you were a kid. And I can tell you right where it was, and, and I don't know if they saved it. At one point they, they kind of you know, redid the dining room and kitchen and kind of tore it out and, and just remodeled in the, in the old house that I grew up in. But for so many years, between the old dining room and the, the, what it looked like, even older kitchen, there was a little doorway, I mean, just an entryway, framed, no door. And that's where we would stand up against it, you know, on a regular basis. And, and they would put a little mark on there and and we could see through the course of time something that was the demonstration, the evidence of change. The Bible uses expressions like this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. It's so challenging to watch when you're so close to the person 
it's so hard to watch. It's difficult. It's almost imperceptible to watch growth. Did you, I know um, I was just talking to Greg. Greg and his family have a new baby in the home, just recently born. And, and so, you know, do, do they put the baby to bed one night and do they go up the next morning, pick up the baby and say, my, how you've grown. But I suspect that there will be people in here that will see them and their baby one month and then may not see them for the course of a month. And then you'll see them again and they'll have their little baby and you'll say, oh, let me see. And then you'll have this honest, genuine look of surprise and you'll say, oh, my, my, how you've grown. Now, they know that it's happening, but do they actually see it happen? And the answer is seldom Why? Because growth is that gradual process of moving from one to or into another. There is something that is akin to the Christian life that that would be macro and um, that would, in a sense, be micro. Uh, An author named Dane Ortland wrote recently about this in, in a book about change. And listen to what he said. He talked about two aspects of the Christian life, justification and sanctification. Notice what he said about justification. Justification is outside in. And we lose it if we make it inside out. Okay, now remember, justification is what we would call big change, macro change, passing from death to life. But notice this statement. Justification is outside in outside in you say what what do you mean by that because I was changed from the inside well you didn't produce it on the inside of you it came from someone outside of you who did a work inside of you it is outside in did you know that man's religion strives for justification by inside out I'm going to find my own pathway to God I am going to do something or this works for me or the way I feel that a person gets to. All that is inside trying to work itself out. Justification is not that. Justification is outside in. We, we lose it if we make it inside out. It doesn't come from within you. It comes from God. This is what, again, we would call macro change. Uh, Martin Luther called this the happy exchange. The happy exchange. Well, God does a powerful work in me. Him, outside of me, does something inside of me. Justification, the happy exchange. Because Jesus is treated as if he is me, a sinner. And now the the exchange, here I am, the sinner. Here he is, God, righteous, perfect, holy. Wow, what what a marvelous exchange. Well, that's a, that's a macro change. Okay, sanctification, however, is uniquely different. Sanctification is inside out. And we lose it if we make it outside in. Okay, are you processing? Are you thinking about this? Justification, outside, this is God doing a work in me. Sanctification. Now, sanctification is not supposed to be outside in. Sanctification is supposed to be something that's happening inside of me and it is demonstrated outside of me. Do do you know what kind of, of, again for lack of a better term, not real sanctification, but pharisaical sanctification was like? 
The Pharisees were concerned, let me ask you, more about the inside or the outside? Well, that should be pretty clear, right? The Pharisees were concerned about the external. They're trying to to do something out here that is, you know, akin to a work in here. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, sometimes you and I get a little caught up in that as well. Sometimes we become so focused on the external that, that, that we look the part, that everything outside of us, all of these things... Jesus even speaking about those things. What is it that defiles a man? The things from outside that we take in? He said, no, 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 no. The things that really defile a person are those things that start from the inside out. What is sanctification? Sanctification is micro change. I know that there are times, because God does work miracles, There are times, and I believe there are people in here that would say, let me tell you, God did a macro change in my life even after salvation. I was doing this, and I was bound by this, and the chains of this, and all of a sudden just God did this amazing instantaneous work of growth, and it was quite remarkable. Amen. I'm not denying that in the least. But I'm also quite aware that Scripture uses this growth illustration As part of what does the normal Christian life look like, it looks like growing in him. The micro change. The problem comes when that kind of change doesn't happen as as often or as much as we want it to happen. Again, I'm going to ask the question again, how many of you are are like, wow, I'm so pleased that I have changed like I have so rapidly into the likeness of Christ. Or how many of you ever find yourself frustrated by the apparent lack of change? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that changed, saved, rescues a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, blind, but now I see. John Newton said this, I I find this insightful. He wrote this when he was 51 years old, uh, 1776. The life of faith seems so simple and easy in theory that I can point it out to others in few words. But in practice, it is very difficult. And my advances are so slow that I hardly dare say I get forward at all. Did you read that? This is, this is the guy that we, we, when we sing his song, I, I heard it played today. This afternoon as I'm listening, I'm like, oh, there it is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Once was lost. Now I'm found blind, but now I see. When we've been there 10,000 years. And he says, this one whose testimony is once the traitor of slaves and becomes the same. This one who understands the depravity of mankind He is gloriously macro-changed. But he's he's sometimes frustrated by the lack of the micro. In practice, oh, I can explain it, I can say it, I can preach it, I suspect. But in practice, it is very difficult. And my advances are so slow that I hardly dare say I get forward at all. As we contemplate this idea of change, it is important for us to know 
that there is the most important work that God is doing, and that is a change in you, a change in me. So often change makes us nervous and, and we're a little on edge. Please know that whatever it is that God is doing, he is first and foremost doing a work of change in us. So what is it that we should understand about change and our circumstances, our surroundings? First of all, God wants to change you more than your circumstances. What is it that I pray about maybe more than anything else? I pray, have you ever prayed? If you've ever prayed, let me put it like this. If you've ever prayed, you have probably prayed about your circumstances, right? Like this sickness, this debt, this relationship, this child, this job, this church, this whatever. You fill in the circumstances, this country, this education. I mean, just, just keep going. How many of you have never prayed about God changing your circumstances? We do it all the time. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But let me ask you this. Is God more concerned about changing your circumstances than he is about changing you? When we think about it, the change that God desires is a change in us that grows us incrementally, subtly, almost imperceptibly, but he is changing us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 12, it appears that the Apostle Paul understood that God wants to change our circumstance or us more than our circumstances. Notice what he says, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Hmm. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, my circumstances are all over the place. I get the, the disparity of, of the blessing and the challenge the ease, the trial. He says, my circumstances are so varied, but in all these things, God is doing a work. He concludes, verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. What circumstances do you have in your life right now that you're praying that God will change? I'm not telling you to stop praying about the change of circumstances, but what is he most concerned about? Wouldn't it be at least discerning of us to say, Lord, I am praying you'll change these circumstances, but in the process of the circumstances, will you continually do a work of changing me? I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to suffer need. I know how to be full. Talk about the gamut of circumstances, but in all of those, what is it that God's doing? He's saying, Paul, through these, I am strengthening you. David is asking a, a fairly important question in Psalm chapter 13. And I don't know that this is, I, I, don't, I can't be conclusive about this and dogmatic about it. But we're going to, it's a brief psalm. We'll just read through it. And, and notice this. 
Notice that David seems to, as he begins, like, Lord, all right, how long? When are you going to listen? God, I'm talking to you. It does appear that even through the course of his prayer, he is understanding, discerning, God, you're doing a more important work of changing me. Look at how it begins. Let's, let's just read through it. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Did you, did you, he's saying, Lord, I got to have some help, some relief. Look a little further. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. Did you notice the shift right here? Lord, when, how long? I'm asking, this is what's going on. Are you listening? And now there's this subtle shift. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord. This is quite a radical change from the beginning. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? And then he concludes this psalm by saying, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Do you know, I, I think David would concur by saying God wants to change you more than he wants to change your circumstances. Consider next, God uses your circumstances to change you. That's a pretty obvious next step, isn't it? He does desire to change us more than he desires to change our circumstances. And in light of this, God is using our circumstances to do the work of changing us. James chapter, excuse me, um, Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 5. Look at the circumstances again that we see here. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. D did you see what he's saying? We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, Patience, experience, experience. He's saying, hey, listen, we, we understand God. We do say, Lord, I know your, your desire is to change me more than my circumstances. And God, I also start to see that tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, experience. Lord, you're using circumstances in my life to change me. Is God truly sovereign or is he not? Is he sovereign over the circumstances of our lives? And if he is, isn't he able to take the circumstances that you're facing right now and use those in such a way that it brings about that micro, that incremental, that almost imperceptible yet real change of making us into a more accurate likeness of Christ. 
It does mean that if he has providentially ordered or allowed the difficulties, the trials, the irritations. How many of you have irritations in your life right now? It's like, oh, I just hate that. This is so irritating to me. And God is using that to continually just do that sandpaper rub on some area of our lives that he is trying to remove something that no longer belongs in the image that reflects him. The frustrations, the poverty, the sickness, the loneliness, or whatever else you might be facing, he is working about these micro-changes that form his likeness more accurately in our own. God wants to change you more than your circumstances. God uses your circumstances to change you. And lastly, I know these overlap to a great degree, maybe to too great a degree, but God may change you by changing your circumstances. He may actually change your circumstances, but but not just because like, oh, I, I just want to change their circumstances. No, he does so again because he is working a change in you. Have you ever had someone say, like at work, hey, we're going to do something different. Um, have you ever been to, um, you know, some retail store and they're trying to check you out and the person rolls their eyes and say, we have a new system. Okay. What, what are they? They're frustrated because of the change. Okay. But isn't it also true that if God does change our circumstances, he doesn't do so just, just to do. There's nothing arbitrary about God. There's nothing about God that says, well, let's just, I don't know, let's just, I don't know, let's just mix it up a little bit. That's not what God does. God, God has a purpose and a plan. He's working something so much bigger and grander, more beautiful, purposeful than we could ever imagine. And so God does want to change you more than your circumstances. God uses your circumstances to change you. And God may change you by changing your circumstances. He may say, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Like, I don't like that. What's he doing? Is this just random? Just varied? Just like, well, I just, I don't know. I just felt like it. No. He has a purpose. What is that purpose? Ultimately, that purpose is to change us into the likeness of him. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he starts out with such um, abruptness. You know, James, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, greeting, hello. And then he just jumps right into, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptation, that is various trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you remember what happened with the early church and Pastor James here addressing the, the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad? They had circumstances, and those circumstances were rather favorable. They dwelt with the church in one accord, and there was this beautiful unity, and the, the Spirit of God rested upon the church in Jerusalem, and what a wonderful thing it was, and, and oh, they would assemble with such joy, and they had some difficulties, that's true. There were some challenges, we acknowledge that, and, and there were some things that people didn't like, and now the, these people are being taken care of, and these are not, but okay, so we resolve that, we work through it, and hey, it's all good, and 
And now the persecution comes. The difficulties come. The hardship comes. And circumstances are changing. What is God doing? He's he's doing a work that is purposeful. Do you know what is happening now? The gospel is going out around the world because the 12 tribes are scattered abroad. If there were no changes here, if, if God just let it go as the status quo for the church, where is the, the distribution of the gospel that so powerfully happens to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, greeting my brethren? Count it all joy. We sometimes use that expression to say, welcome like you would an old friend. Man is given to trouble like difficult times, trials, tribulation, like the sparks fly upward. They're just part of life. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That is the ability to stand. But let patience have her perfect work. Why? Let, the, let it run its course. Okay, this is a trial. This is a change. I don't like this. We like being in Jerusalem with the church better than being scattered abroad. Let patience have her perfect work. Come on, let it, let it run its course. Don't get hung up on this. Well, it's not the same, I know. Well, that's different. Okay. Has God shaken up your world? Did, did your supervisor say, hey, um, I need to see you? Oh, no. Um, listen. I have, a, I have a new plan, and I'm excited to tell you about it. And as soon as he says that, your mind starts to race. A new plan. Something's going to change. Well, this, this was God's plan. Do you know there are things about God that never change? And there are things about us that are continually changing. What's the most important change? That God is working today on planet earth. Um, It is not a change in which party occupies the White House. Or the houses of Congress. Or who's conservative or not in the Supreme Court. I I don't mean to be flippant about this in the least. I really don't. But I, I am confident in this. The most important change is not who controls Ukraine or Russia or Myanmar or Haiti or a host of other places. The most important change that is taking place today is the change that happens in the lives of those who claim the name of Christ and are conformed more accurately into that likeness. And then, the, the, quite honestly, the macro change, the big change, when someone passes from death to life, those are the most important changes. You know, he may be changing something with you. So keep praying that God will change your circumstances. But as you do, why not include in your prayer that God would do a work of changing you. Do you know the simple course, chorus, change my heart, O God? Make it ever true. 
Change my heart, O God. May I be like you.